Welcome to Heart of Worship Church Podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Tonight's lesson, a word to the remnant, those that... Yeah, it pretty much is. It pretty much is. And God gave it to me mostly as a word. So it'll come across as a lesson, but really it's a word. And it's a word to us, but in general it's also a word to the remnant. The remnant are those that know their God. Because the truth of the matter is, is that though we think the church is big and strong in the world, there's really only a remnant church. There's only ever been a remnant church, and there will always be a remnant until Christ returns. There's more of a counterfeit church than there is a true church. And really tonight's lesson is going to focus mostly on the spirit of Antichrist, how it's in operation now, and how it's preparing for the real Antichrist to come forth. You know, the Holy Spirit did a work in the world for all of history up until Christ came on the scene. And the work that was being done was to prepare the way for Christ so that people would know who he was when he came and receive him, at least to some degree. But the spirit of Antichrist is basically the opposite of the Holy Spirit, and it does the same thing. So it's preparing the people to receive the Antichrist when the Antichrist comes on the scene. So this kind of ties back. I think God has been pushing forth this message back to, I think it was the last Wednesday night that I taught, or maybe the one before when he had given me the lesson about prepare, tell my people to prepare. Of course, this was back before the elections, and... He was uh, giving the lesson about prepare, but don't bother trying to prepare physically by stocking up things and stocking up ammo and stocking up food and trying to prepare your land. It's too late for that. You need to prepare spiritually. If you prepare your hearing, get on your knees and pray and learn to hear the voice of the Lord, then no matter what comes your way, he'll always tell you what to do, how to do it, where to walk around it, how to avoid the traps and snares of the enemy. You'll always be one step ahead if you learn how to hear. So really, more than anything, that lesson was focused on preparing your seeking. Learn how to seek the Lord now. Learn how to hear Him now. Learn how to obey Him now. Learn how to trust Him now. Take those steps of faith right now while it's easy, and it will be easier for you in more dire situations. And then it kind of continued on in Daddy's sermon that he did Sunday about the three different directions that the church in general can take when times get hard. Either the militant way, which is stocking up the guns and all of that. If you live by the sword, you die by the sword. You, we all heard the message. So go into captivity, be imprisoned, probably die. Or the prepare. See, you know, the scripture says those that know their God will do great exploits. And that's the key. The sad thing is, is that most people don't know God and they don't know that they don't know God. Because there's such a spirit of Antichrist in the church today that most of them are serving a false god and don't even realize it. They don't know that they don't know their god. And that's why there's no power in the churches. That's why there's no power in most people that are called Christians in their life. There's no deliverance. There's no breakthrough. There's nothing because they're not actually serving the true god of the Bible. They're serving a god of their own creation. They're serving a god of the pastor's creation. They're serving a God of Satan's creation. They're serving the spirit of Antichrist. And so there's no power in it. But those that know their God, the God of the Bible, 
the true God, will be strong and will do great exploits. All of this, all of tribulation, is done to separate the goat from the sheep, the wheat from the tare, to find out who is the true and faithful bride and who is not. Who's going to tuck tail and run? Who's going to turn on God? He wants to know who the faithful are. And so some of the faithful are going to fall to test the other faithful. And it's part, it's all part of it. But there will be power in those that do know their God. And you can see that in the New Testament church. Basically what you're going to have is the true church, the New Testament church, what you see happening in Acts. Though some of them did go into captivity, though some of them did die, it was only in God's timing and in God's plan. There were still powers and exploits and there was purpose in everything that they went through. But I do agree and I understand what, what he's saying in the aspect of those that go into captivity. There are those that are just not going to walk in the power of God because they don't know their God and there's nothing else they can do. If you don't have the Holy Spirit telling you in advance, go this way, turn that way, don't go there, they're going to catch you. There's secret police over here, so don't go there. And you see this in the stories of uh, missionaries in Soviet Russia and the communist countries and so forth, where God did great exploits to protect them and to show them where to go, what not to go, who to trust, who not to trust. And so if you don't have that, then you're definitely going into captivity, even if you do love God and serve God, because you're just going to walk into the first trap the devil sets. Some will get to know their God in the prison cell. Yes, I believe you'll have people like what? And that's... And we'll in jail with them. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, and I will say this. One thing that the, the, the election has done, it's got everybody off this idea of getting ready. When they thought Hillary was coming in, boy, people were praying, people were fasting, people were getting ready, people were preparing for war, for tribulation, stuff was coming. Now, Trump is the savior, he's going to take care of the world, sit back, we don't have to worry about nothing. Let me tell you something, it's a little reprieve, we will get some time, but it's coming. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. So it's still coming, that's why before the election even happened, God was already putting forth this message about prepare, prepare, this is what you got to do. You only get a little bit of extra time Take the time to prepare. Use this season to prepare your hearing because it is coming. Um, one, one thing. Just this week, they made it mandatory at work that we have to have a tracking device. Oh, what? Oh, wow. job that we're on. Then. When you're on the job? So on the or when job. you leave the job, you leave it there? Well, they actually want you to take it home with you. But... Know what's going on. Wayne just had his driver's license renewed and he had to choose between the regular driver's license or the real ID, but it's going to be phased out to where everybody has to have the real ID pretty soon, which Jindal had fought for a while, but now it's a federalized identification. So it's all coming towards the mark. It's coming. All right, Daniel 11.31. All right, 11, Daniel 11.31 says, and it's speaking about the Antichrist, and arms shall be on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate, and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. All right, we're going to dissect that a little bit before I move on. 
Now, this is talking about the person of the Antichrist, but it also applies to the spirit of Antichrist. This will happen physically when the Antichrist is on the scene, but this is already happening spiritually now, preparing people for the physical manifestation. It says, arms will stand on his part, which means there'll be armies on his side. Uh, the military will be on his side. And they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength. Now, this is happening already now with the spirit of Antichrist and always has. How do you pollute the sanctuary of strength? You pollute it with sin. There's no power in a Christian or somebody claiming to be a Christian that's living an unholy life, that's living in sin. They have no power because they can't, they can't, the Holy Spirit will not operate through you. It will not move through you. It won't give you, you won't have the spirit of truth. There's no power if there's, in, if there's sin in the church. So churches and doctrines that are pushing the idea that you can live in sin, that excuse sin, that promote self, they're already polluting the sanctuary and stealing away its strength. The spirit of Antichrist is already doing that now. It's going to do it even more so as the true Antichrist steps up. But people will receive him because the spirit of Antichrist will already be preparing their hearts. It won't be a big thing. They're already used to it. It's just going to be a physical manifestation of it. And shall take away the daily sacrifice. Now, this is believed to be that at some point they're going to restore the daily sacrifice to Jerusalem and the Antichrist will take that away. But on a spiritual sense, the spirit of Antichrist has already done that because it's taken away repentance. There is no repentance. The sacrifice in the Old Testament was done as a semblance of repentance. Most of your churches today do not teach repentance. Most of your denominations don't push the idea of repentance. You pay your tithes, you have a good time, you get a motivational speech, you move on. So on the spiritual sense, the daily sacrifice has already been taken away. People don't repent of their sins. Yeah. How many people in the mega churches and in your, your charismatic churches do you know, do you really think are going to bed every night and asking forgiveness for their sins for the day, doing that, that repentance prayer on a daily basis, seeking to live holy? It's not happening. I, I couldn't tell you if I had a nickel every time I heard someone tell me, repentance means to change your mind. If you truly change your mind, it will change your actions. The tribulation time period when the Antichrist himself is set up and all this stuff has happened is only three and a half years. You can withstand just about anything for three and a half years. It's only three and a half years. And yes, it's a very terrible three and a half years. But all of this we're already facing now with the spirit of Antichrist. So people are waiting for this tribulation time period to prove themselves, but they can't even prove themselves now against the spirit that's doing the same thing. It says, And they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate is when the Antichrist sets himself up as God. Well, let me tell you something. The spirit of Antichrist has set itself up as God in most churches. What most people are worshiping and saying is God is not God. It's the spirit of Antichrist. What most people think is the Holy Spirit and manifestations of it is really just manifestations of the spirit of Antichrist. It's a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit, and he is a counterfeit of God. When you are standing in a house of God and claiming to worship God, but it's not the God of Scripture, it's a twisting of him, it's your own version of him, it's one that condones your sin, and allows you to make a mockery of the Holy Spirit, if it's an unholy God, then it is the spirit of Antichrist. So he's already set up in the temple of God, pretending to be God. And people are already worshiping him as God. So how much simpler is it going to be for the man to step in? It's already happening. Anywhere that holiness is not being taught 
and, and lived and preached is a place where unholiness is being welcomed. And then that's an unholy God. So it's not the God of Scripture. And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall be corrupted with flatteries. Now, what does that mean? Those who don't obey God's commands do wickedly against the covenant. The covenant for us is the blood of Jesus Christ. If you do wickedly against the covenant, that means you're taking grace in vain. You're still living in sin willfully, but claiming to be washed by the blood of Jesus. Those will be corrupted with flatteries. How much do you see it in the modern church? How easily are people corrupted by flatteries, by smooth prophecies, by lies, by deceit, by prosperity preaching, by whatever they want to hear, the ministers all the way down to the congregation. The devil is flattering the ministers. The ministers are flattering the congregation. They're all being deceived. Why? All being taught that the word of the prophetic is always edifying, not... And not even just... That's just a small aspect. What it comes down... What it comes down to is if they're living in sin and it's being justified or condoned, then they're going to fall to flatteries because the Holy Spirit's not going to reside with a sinful people, and so they're going to fall to the spirit of error, which is the spirit of Antichrist, and they'll listen to the flatteries because that's the only encouragement they have. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. But the people that do know their God will be strong and do exploits. The only way to know your God is to read scripture and know who he truly is or you're going to believe the counterfeits that tell you who they want to say he is. I asked my daddy when I was a kid, what does that mean, great exploit? He said, well, it's like in the days of, of Moses. Moses when the Red Sea was parted and all the miracles that would happen. He said, at that time period, it's going to be just like that. Right. The miracles are going to be happening. People that truly knows God and lives in God they great exploits. Yep, great exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. This is key. If you know your God, you'll do great exploits. And those that understand will instruct many. Yeah, and there's not going to be many that understand because there's not going to be many that know their God because they don't know the Bible. There's not many people that know the Bible. And that's why it says, and those that understand among them shall instruct many. Because when you get the understanding, your job is to instruct those that don't understand, that don't have it. Whether they believe or not, whether they listen or not, it's not on your hands, but you're still required to instruct. The truth is, is what this is talking about is a church that's deceived. Remember, the Antichrist is not coming to deceive the world. They're already deceived. He's coming to deceive the church. People have this this image of the Antichrist as this great political world leader, and he stays in the political arena. That is an aspect of him, but that's the that's the lower aspect. Really, he's a spiritual leader. It's all religious what he does. It's a church takeover. And yes, the Catholics will follow him. The Catholic Church will support him. Yes, the Baptists will follow him. The Baptist Church will support him. Yes, the Methodists will follow him. The Methodist Church will support him. The Pentecostal. Every major denomination is going to endorse and support the Antichrist, and most of the people within it, because he is going to deceive the world. They're going to follow only those, the remnant, a small few, who know their God because they know his true character, and they know that he's holy. 
So when they see unholiness and unrighteousness in this man, it doesn't matter how many miracles and manifestations he can perform or how many promises he can give with his lying tongue speaking blasphemies. They're going to say that's not right because this man is unholy and I know my God. My God is holy. Therefore, this is not my God. And that's where you are right now in the church. The remnant church are those that look at the church as a whole and look at the spirit of Antichrist and say, that's not holy. And my God is holy. So that's not my God. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. Even if you got to do it from a jail cell, there will be people to instruct in there. Yet they shall fall by the sword. So some of them will be killed. And by flame, even though they can do great exploits. And by captivity and by spoil many days. Now when they shall fall, they shall be helped with a little help. But many shall cleave to them with flatteries, and some of them of understanding shall fall. Now, when God starts moving in great exploits and people that do know their God, there's going to be a lot of people that cling to them with flatteries. You get this big ministry. Oh my gosh, we got to put you on TV. People are falling out. People are getting healed. Oh my gosh, you're, you know, you're so great. They start bringing to them flatteries. And that's how you see a lot of ministers that actually start out good and start out to have good ministries, but the devil sends in the flatterers. He sends in the flatterers. And they take that on, and they start to take into those spirits, and they start to fall, and they like the show that comes with it. And that's not to say, of course, we know falling out, miracles, healings, that's all real. But a lot of what you see is demonic manifestation meant to prop up unholy leaders. So what you get a lot of times is a good, holy, righteous leader and I know some of them, it's a shame they started out good. I could call them by name. And then they start to like the attention. They start to like the flattery. They start pushing people down. Then the spirits come in and these people that are going to placate to them and put on a performance. So they start allowing all these possessed people to cause a scene and put on performances instead of getting them delivered and getting them set free and making them truly saved and normal and delivered. They're going into full-on manifestation in every service and calling it a manifestation of the Holy Spirit but it's really an unholy spirit because they fail for the flatteries. They like the attention. So it says, even among those who understand, some will fall because of the flatterers. To try them and to purge them and to make them white, and the others will see this. And this is all about pulling this stuff out of us. It's about purging people. It's about making you a white and spotless bride. When you see these things happening to others, it should break your heart and make you want to pull anything out of you that might lead you in that direction. And I can see in my life where God has done that. He's brought me through so many ministries and so many situations and so many people where I've seen good people fall, where I've seen good ministries twisted, where I've seen people deceived. And it's only shown me all the more how I don't want to go that way. And it's all a purging and a purifying. And the tribulation does that on a greater level. It shows you the true ugliness of wickedness so that you start to disdain it even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. And the king shall do according to his will. All right, the Antichrist does according to his will. Jesus did everything according to God's will. Christians do what God wants to do. The Antichrist does what he wants to do. This is another key to recognizing the Antichrist and the Antichrist spirit in a church. If it's holy, if it's God, it says those that know their God. If you know your God's character, 
you know that it's always humility and it's always selflessness. If there's anything going on in a church or denomination or in a person that is selfish and prideful and it's all about their will, what they want done, what's pleasing to them, what's appeasing to them, what's edifying to them, then it is of the spirit of Antichrist. Jesus said, I do only what my father tells me to do. I say only what he tells me to say. I go only where he tells me to go. But the spirit of Antichrist does what it wants to do. Remember, the only commandment in the satanic Bible is do as thou wilt. Therefore, a selfish religion is a satanic religion. And he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished, for that that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers. Now this is interesting. This is a capital G. This implies that the Antichrist may be Jewish. He will not regard the God of his fathers. Either Christian or Jew, of a Christian heritage or Jewish, but it's more likely Jewish. Nor desire of women. This is where people say that he may be homosexual or he may just have no interest in women. Uh, Nor regard any God, small g, for he shall magnify himself above all. Here's the thing. Satan wants to counterfeit Christ because he wants to, to mock and disgrace, and, and he wants to put it in, in God's face, hey, look what I'm doing. So it's only logical that he would make it as much as Christ-like as he could. So it's, I mean, it's logical that he would be in a Jewish form because Christ was in a Jewish form. Everyone will. In the book of life, right. If you, and again, remember, and that kind of ties in too, because we're talking about only those who know the true God of the Bible have the Holy Spirit, the true Holy Spirit, not the counterfeit, the true Holy Spirit that's producing a holy life in you. Because if you're not producing a holy life, then you don't have the Holy Spirit within you. Those are the ones whose names are actually written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And it says only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will know who He is. Everybody else will be deceived. So anybody who's not truly saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, the real one, not the counterfeit ones, They're going to all follow him. So the Catholics are going to follow him. A lot of the Baptists are going to follow him. A lot of the Methodists are going to follow him. A lot of the Jews are going to follow him. A lot of your charismatics, because most of them are living in sin and just having a big party. Most people will follow him. That's why the Bible says there's only a remnant. Few are they that find the straight and narrow path. There really is only a few that makes it. And that should break our heart and cause us to go out all the more because those that do understand are supposed to instruct those that right. don't. That's right. God is holy. And that's that's the key to knowing your God. And that's yeah. what most people don't honestly know that will help them to be deceived. <coughs> Revelations 12, 9 through 11. That's 9-11. Anytime you see 9-11, that means important. Emergency. <laughs> emergency. In Revelations 12, 9, 11, we see how this deceiver is overcome. And it's the same way that it's overcome eventually in the person is the same way that the spirit of Antichrist is overcome too. It says, and the great dragon, which this is about where daddy left off in his lesson, 
uh, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Now there's some interesting facts in this. These are the angels saying this. It says that now salvation is come and strength and the kingdom of our God. So this war that's been going on in heaven with Satan and the angels and the heavenlies and all of this, when he's cast down to earth, then the angels rejoice. They say salvation is come and he's about to be defeated. He's defeated by those weak humans and Christ himself. They overcame, well, he's defeated by Christ, but he's overcome by humans who had the testimony of the blood of Jesus Christ. They shared their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Now, the word of their testimony, and they loved their lives not unto death. You think about the church in Acts, in the time when we see all the power. They didn't have scripture. They didn't have a Bible. What did they go on? The word of their testimony. They talked about the blood of Jesus what he did, what it does for you, and then they gave their testimony what it did for me. And their testimonies had power because they were powerful testimonies because they were walking in power because they had faith in their God. They knew who their God was, so they walked in authority. You're going to see the same thing, and it's funny. We love our Bibles. You need your Bible. We promote the Bible. That's how you know who your God is. But you also need to know the God who wrote the Bible. You need to have that communion, that seeking, and that hearing. Because I find it interesting that the church was most powerful before they had the Bible, and it'll be the most powerful again once the Bibles are taken away. Because then the people have to truly depend on God. They have to talk to God, they have to pray, they have to hear from God, and they have to obey or they're going to die. So they will truly hear from God, and it will weed out those that don't. And that power that comes forth from that, from knowing your God, from spending that time hearing that, will give you a greater testimony that when you share that testimony and people see that testimony, it will also help to overcome the lies of the enemy. And they have to not even care whether they live or die. They've got to go back to that point where they were in Acts where they said to live is Christ, to die is gain. It doesn't matter. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to spread the blood of Jesus, even if they kill me. You can walk in that power, that book of Acts power now, but you can't walk in the power of God if you don't believe him enough to not care about whether you live or die, whether you lose your house, whether you lose your job. Talking about they love their lives even unto death, most people are scared to share the gospel because they're going to lose their job. You know, They're going to lose a friend. They're going to lose a family member. Miracles, miracles. Everybody wants to see miracles. Let me tell you something about miracles. God showed me this. Sometimes a miracle will come because of God's compassion because he's just compassionate. Sometimes he just has compassion on somebody who's praying. But most times the miracles will come to validate the message. In Acts 8 verse 5 we see it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Let me read that again. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and what? Preached Christ unto them. 
So what was the message? Christ. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. So why did God send the miracles? To validate the message. The reason there's not many miracles in the church today is because they don't have the right message. They don't have the true God. They don't have the true word. There's a twisting. There's a watering down. There's a, a validating and a confusing. They don't believe the entirety of the Bible. In their heart, there's lies planted from evolution. There's lies planted from homosexual family members that they don't really want to believe that maybe that's a sin. There's things that are in there that keep you from fully believing the whole message and preaching the whole message just as God gave it so there's no power because miracles come to validate the message. And more so even than just in Scripture, but having that communion in that place with God where you're talking to God and He's telling you things and you step out in faith on what He's told you, He's going to send miracles to validate that because you listened and you had the faith to believe what He was going to tell you. I've seen more miracles performed when I stepped out in faith on something that God personally spoke to me and there was no way to prove it other than to say, I know, I know what God told me, so I step out in faith on it. And then he does miraculous things to prove it, to validate it, to confirm it. The miracles come to validate the message. For unclean spirits crying with loud voices came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsy, and that were lame were healed. When it's truly from God, he will send the miracle to validate the message and the messenger. Step out in faith when he gives you something. He will validate it when it's truly from God. That's actually the last message that I preached at the high school. And it was really for some of those people that were seeking miracles. That miracles really only come to validate the message. So if you get the message right, the miracles will follow. Remember, the scripture says signs and wonders will follow those that believe. We don't follow signs and miracles. They follow us. Because if you're truly listening to God and relaying his word, he will validate it. We're just messengers. You know, God told me once, he gave me a word to give somebody, and I told him, I said, they're not going to receive it. It's not going to go well. They're going to get mad. They're going to chew me out. They're going to think I'm crazy. Why are you even making me do it? He said, no, you're right. That's how they're going to handle it. He's like, but after it happens the way that you're warning them it's going to happen, they'll be humbled. They'll know that I love them enough to warn them, even though they're still going to do the wrong thing. They'll know that I love them enough to warn them, and then they'll come back. He said, I never sent Moses to save the Israelites. I just sent him to deliver a message. I did the saving. And that's all it is. God will give you the message. All you have to do is deliver it. He then is responsible for delivering the power that validates it. That's where the miracles come in. He will make it work out. All right, Acts Okay, picking up where we stopped on verse 8. It says, when the devil taints the message, God won't back the messenger. That's why so few are walking in true power. Faith has a part to play into it, too. A lot of people's faith is just crushed. But for the most part, their faith is crushed because they don't know who their God is. And there was great joy, okay, after all these miracles and these people are getting saved and all this. There was great joy in the city. But there was a certain man named Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. So there was a guy, and people thought that he was this great, awesome man of God. There's great, awesome, powerful manifestations and works going on, but it says that he was doing it through sorcery. 
So he had the spirit of Antichrist. It was a counterfeit Holy Spirit. To whom they all gave heed, so they all listened to him, from the last to the from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. So they thought that he was a man of God. And to him they had regard, because that a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. So the, he had the people's loyalty because for a long time he had been doing these counterfeit manifestations through sorcery. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, when they saw the true power of God, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. So this guy is like, huh, I've got it wrong, or so it seems. And he gets baptized also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wandered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. So he's, he's following Philip around and wondering at all of these things that are happening. Now, when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. All right, so these people were believers. They were baptized. They were repented, but they had not received the Holy Ghost. So they sent down Peter and John to pray over them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because they believed, they were baptized in the name of Jesus, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit until John and Peter came down and laid hands on them. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. For yet he was fallen upon none of them. So at this point, none of them had the Holy Spirit. Only they were baptized in the name of Jesus, of the Lord Jesus. Then laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Uh, Paul, John, and Peter laid their hands on them, and the people received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perished with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness, which is jealousy, and in the bond of iniquity. So this was a man that everybody thought was a man of God. He was bewitching people which bewitching usually means just deceiving in some form or other. He was moving in manifest manifestations and counterfeit miracles. He had the spirit of Antichrist. The people thought that they were serving God when they followed him, but they weren't. When Philip began to show them the true power of God, people started to come to it, and he was like, I want this. So he follows them. It says that he got baptized. He went through all the motions with them, but his heart, was set on the attention. He wanted to buy the ability to lay hands on people and impart the Holy Spirit because all this time the people had been pretty much worshiping him. He was he was the the Hollywood star, you know. He was the big guy on on scene. But God will not back a messenger if his message is not right. His heart was not right. The messenger was not right. So the miracles would not back it. The counterfeit ones were still there. But God's Holy Spirit could not be imparted. 
Therefore, there is nobody that could have an importation of the Holy Spirit for deliverance and for righteousness. He could still put on a good show, but they could not be made holy with an importation of the Holy Spirit because he himself was not holy. I just want to make a point. You said in, in verse 13, it said, Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered about But he was saved. Yeah. He lost, he lost it. He lost it. Yeah. That's what we mean. Some people say you can't lose it. Mm -hmm. But right here, he was saved. Yeah. He got he baptized. And what caused him to lose it? Jealousy. When the apostle said, I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness, it's jealousy. And in the bond of iniquity. Your heart's not right in this matter. So you can't receive the Holy Spirit. So if you have unholiness, you can't receive the Holy Spirit. You can't impart the Holy Spirit. So if they're imparting something and they're not living a holy life, then they're imparting unholy spirits. This is the spirit of Antichrist. You've got people asking for a spirit when they're not even saved. So they cannot, they cannot receive the Holy Spirit. So they're going to receive an unholy spirit. And that's why you have this running rampant. For the majority, what you're going to see is from the get-go, they're going to be picking up counterfeit spirits or that spirit of Antichrist, which is a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit, which is actually just making a mockery of the Holy Spirit most people are afraid of the Holy Spirit because of the counterfeit. Don't be deceived. Okay, we were just talking about, about how the miracles only come to validate the message. And we see that with Philip. He had what? The message of Christ. 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 Not Methodist. Not Baptist. Not Pentecostal. Christ. The doctrine of Christ. It was only Christ. And because of that, the miracles came to validate him. The devil taints the messenger so that God won't back the message. If the messenger is tainted, if the message is tainted, miracles are not going to validate it. Don't be deceived. The fruits of the Spirit must be evident towards all men. You'll know them by their fruits. For there are many false prophets and wolves in sheep's clothing. The only thing the devil cannot counterfeit is a holy life. Remember, the man, Simon, was doing manifestations. The people were bewitched. If you are looking to signs, wonders, miracles, manifestations, and gifts as an evidence of the Holy Spirit, you will be deceived because they can be counterfeit. The only thing Satan cannot counterfeit is righteousness and a holy life. That's why Jesus said, you will know them by their gifts. No. You'll know them because they speak in tongues. No. You'll know them because they prophesy. No. You'll know them by their fruits. Because a holy God that imparts a holy spirit will produce holy fruit. And if it's not producing holy fruit, then it's not the Holy Spirit. The spirit of Antichrist can produce miracles. It can produce gifts. It can produce manifestations. But it cannot produce holiness. That's how you know the difference. Let's look at the fruits of the Spirit. Go to Galatians 5. We're going to look at the fruits of the Spirit. These are produced by the Holy Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit is love. You must have love. It doesn't matter how many manifestations or how good you talk a talk or how good you preach a preach. If there's no love in your heart towards the lost and the wicked and the lonely and the broken, you don't have the fruits of the Spirit. Joy. Peace. 
long-suffering, which is patience and the ability to endure many heartaches and trials and still stick it out for the faith, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, which is controlling your, your temper, against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh and the affections of the lust. It doesn't stop. It says, and crucifying the flesh and the affections of the lust. If you're not crucifying the flesh and the affections of the lust, then you don't have all the gifts of the Spirit. Basically, that encompasses anything that the others might have left out. It doesn't stop. It says, and that one's important too. But these are all the fruits of the Spirit. When you want to know if somebody has the Holy Spirit, they should either have these or be working towards them. It's a work in progress. Sometimes we slip up and we grow, but you should always be trying to strive towards it. If there's not a progression, then there's not a Holy Spirit because there's no conviction. Because if the Holy Spirit is truly in you and you're not producing these fruit or some of these fruit are starting to go bad, it's going to convict you and push you and teach you towards it. So if it's not happening, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. Go to Philippians 1.19. So we're going, okay, trying to bring it back to the point of the whole lesson is the spirit of Antichrist that's already in operation in the church. Many of your churches, your denominations, your pastors, your leaders, your congregations, some of them really truly think they're serving God. Really, they're serving the spirit of Antichrist. But you know them by their fruits. Remember Jesus said, know them by their fruits. Most people are following people because of their gifts and thinking that that's, a sign but that's why people are getting so confused and so led astray because yes somebody might give you a word and there might be part of it that's true and it might be exactly what you want to hear but it might be exactly the opposite of what God's telling you you've got to examine the fruits because actually that passage about examining the fruits you'll know them by their fruit it was a warning because of false prophets it was because of the wolves in sheep's clothing he was saying people will come that will have gifts and you won't be able to tell if they're from God or not, so judge them by their fruits. Never let the the gift be in evidence. Always let the fruits be in evidence. And that's, how the that's how he's going to fool people because he will have gifts, signs, and lying wonders, but he won't have holy fruit. So that's how you tell the difference. Philippians one nineteen says, "For I know that this shall turn to my salvation." This was uh, Paul in prison. And um, he didn't know whether or not he was going to be executed or not. So he's telling the people, the Philippians, in this letter that he's writing, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death for to me to live is christ and to die is gain but if i live in the flesh this is the fruit of my labor yet what i shall choose i want not so he's basically saying the fruit of my labor is to to see you people through to salvation he says, for I am in straight betwixt. What I choose is not what I want. He was saying, I might actually die, but for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what I'm actually choosing, I choose life, but it's not even what I want. 
what I really want is to be with Christ. He says, for I am in straight betwixt between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy and faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ Jesus for me and my coming to you, by my coming to you again. So remember, they overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and because they love not their life unto death. You want to have a New Testament church? You have to not care whether you live or die. Your whole life's focus has to be towards helping others into the kingdom, spreading the truth, and going back to that opening passage, those that understood instructed many. He's saying, I would actually rather die. I'm choosing life, and I'm choosing to believe and know that God's going to get me out of this, but it's not actually what I want. I would rather die and go and be with Christ, but for your sake, it's better that I live because you need the instruction. It's more needful. And I think you'll see that a lot in tribulation, that a lot of people will probably just rather be with the Lord, but they know they have a job. The point is to live for eternity. When you have a mindset that you would rather be in glory, when you're truly living for God, when you truly know that you're doing all that you can, you're not concerned about this life. You are concerned about the people here. You're concerned about your family and your friends and people that you know God has a job and a call for you, but you, in your heart, always would rather long to be with the Lord, long for eternity. You're living for eternity. When you live with a mindset for eternity, you can do so much more for God because you're not worried about the things that are here. Our mindset is focused here on the little things in this little life that's going to last for no time at all. And we don't set our mind on the things eternal that we should be preparing for that are going to be forever. And if we step into it, whoop, praise the Lord, I finished the race, I get to sit down. But if you stay in it, okay, well, let me drag a few more people with me. And that's really what it boils down to. We need to live for eternity. Now, the trap is being laid. Don't fall into it. Don't let the seeds of division choke out your fruit and sever you from the vine. What you see happening right now in the country, in the world, even with the election, it has a part to play in all of it. It's division. It's bringing a greater divide. And of course, we know that's going to happen because the goat and the sheep are being separated. But don't let the division take root in your heart. Don't let the seeds of bitterness choke out your fruit. Because if you don't produce holy fruit, then you won't. And remember, as Wayne pointed out with uh, uh, Simon, it was bitterness that caused him to fall away. So getting bitter at the Hillary camp, getting bitter at the Muslims, getting bitter at the Antichrist and the people that are going to follow him, getting bitter at the church and the counterfeit manifestations and the people that are doing so wrong. It's, it's easy to get in that state of frustration, but you have to love. You have to be broken. You have to always be seeking to instruct them in righteousness and have a heart of love. Because if you let that seed of bitterness take in and that division set in, it's going to destroy your fruit, and then you're going to be right back on the camp with the other people that are following the spirit of Antichrist because you're going to think you're serving God and you're not because your fruit is dried up. You're not being led of the Holy Spirit anymore. You're now deceived by the spirit of Antichrist. You might still be in the pew, but you're following a different spirit. Prepare your hearing. Prepare your seeking. Prepare your ability to be used by God and to trust him. That's what you have time to do. We have time to reach the lost. You've got a little bit time to spread 
the truth. And I don't know what God's going to do, but I feel he's going to do something if it's one last revival, if it's one last something. God's going to do something to help bring out one more wave of truth, because that's been my prayer for years, God. I know it's going to get bad, but the people are so deceived, they don't even know the truth. If they if they got to make a choice, let it be a choice made with understanding. And that's been my prayer. And we have a little bit more time to make a difference. We've got to redeem the time. There's been time lost. There's not much time left. But we've got a little bit more time to spread the truth. We've got a little bit more time to reach family. We've got a little bit more time. But only if we focus and focus hard on listening to God and doing what he says and take advantage of the time. Don't waste time running after political schemes. Don't waste time trying to stock up stuff. Don't waste time thinking everything's going to be hunky-dory. We've got an opportunity during this four years. We only have a short time, and we've got to redeem the time. The devil's plan to stop that, to prevent you from taking advantage of that little bit of time that we still have, which really, more than anything, going back to that lesson on how to prepare, is really to seek the Lord, pray, and learn how to hear from him and trust in what he tells you. That's what you need to prepare right now more than anything else. God won't back division, bitterness, hatred, pride, or arrogance. Only broken obedience, which takes humble, selfless seeking. The devil's plan to stop people from using this time to prepare and taking that reprieve is to fill them with division, bitterness, hatred, pride, and arrogance. He's going to make you hate the other side. He's going to make you mad at this side. He's going to bring factions and division. We have to love everybody and want to get everybody in. So don't get taken in by it. Obedience above all. Seek God. Like I said, prepare by preparing your prayer life and your ability to hear. Uh, Be totally humble and disciplined even in your thoughts. And we're almost done. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not Cornal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So as a Christian, these are your weapons. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You cannot revenge disobedience when you are not obedient yourself. So seek the Lord to hear from the Lord and learn how to be obedient down to the letter. Ask him every day what his list of criteria is for you to do that day. Learn to be that obedient. Because remember, this is talking about the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal, but they are mighty. They're spiritual. Your true warfare weapons are your prayer and your obedience. God is the general in this war that we're in, and he will give you good directions, but we've got to go to him for them, and we've got to be obedient. And God will revenge disobedience, and sometimes he'll even use people to do it, but he won't use you to do it if you're being disobedient yourself. You've got to walk in obedience first. Seek to be obedient, and then he will revenge disobedience and in the meantime weep between the porch and the altar and all of these instructions that i've given you play into the gifts of the spirit 
These are the characteristics of those who have the fruit. I mean, not the gifts, the fruits, the fruits of the Spirit. The characteristics of those who have the fruits of the Spirit will be doing these things. They will be obedient. They will be praying. They will be seeking. They will be weeping between the porch and the altar. Joel 2 verse 7 says, They shall run like mighty men. This is talking about the army of the Lord. We only have well one more short passage. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the walls like men of war. They shall march everyone on his ways. And they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. They'll be disciplined. They're not going to accidentally take the other one out. They shall walk everyone in his path. Discipline. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. That's some miracle stuff there. They shall run to and fro in the city, and they shall run upon the wall. Build them holy walls. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, brokenness, and rend your heart, and not your garments. In other words, don't put on a big show like most of the people are doing. Rend your heart, not your clothes. Yeah, in other words, he's saying, don't put on a fake grief. Don't tear your clothes and put on a show. Tear your heart. This needs to be a real mourning. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repent him of the evil. People need to repent. Who know if he will turn and repent and leave a blessing behind him? even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Sion, sanctify a fast, call the solemn assembly. What is solemn? A somber, a serious assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, sanctify the congregation, sanctify the congregation. Assemble, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priest and the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare thy people. When the people pray, when the people cry out, when the people come to know their God. Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thy heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? Then will the Lord be jealous for his people and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and ye shall be satisfied therewith. And I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen, but I will remove far off from you the northern army and will drive him into the land barren and desolate and his face toward the east sea and his hinder ports toward the uttermost sea and his stink shall come up, and his ill savor shall come up, because he hath done great things. So when the people cry,
cry out, when the people pray, when the priests are weeping between the porch and the altars, when the spirit of Antichrist is no longer running the church, but a true, broken, humble, holy people. Then God will hear, he will come and says, when my people who are called by my name will repent, I will hear from heaven, I will come and I will hear the land. And we're going to close with Zephaniah 3.16 that says, And in that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. He will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. And this brings us to the conclusion. God is coming back for those to whom the reproach of his name was a burden. Those who were burdened in their heart, that weeped between the porch and the altar, that fasted and cried and prayed, because of the disgust and their brokenness over the spirit of Antichrist running rampant in the church. Those that the reproach of the name of Christ, that that spirit had brought reproach on the name of Christ with all of its blasphemies and mockeries and counterfeit spirit and unholiness and unrighteousness, to those whom the reproach of his name was a burden, that's who he's coming to save. Those that were among the solemn assembly. Thank you for listening to Heart of Worship Church podcast. For more podcasts, sermon videos, daily devotions, great new worship music, and more, be sure to download our app by searching Heart of Worship Church in the App Store or Google Play, or visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.